Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. Let me ask you a question, as I often do, to kind of get us thinking along the lines of what God wants to speak to us about today. How many of you like to tell stories? I don't see many hands. I'm not talking about lying, if you're afraid to confess. I'm not talking about you love to lie. I'm talking about you enjoy telling a good joke, a good story. You know, something has happened to you, good or bad. It's like, I just got to tell somebody you know, or you heard a good story, or you, you watched a really good movie, and I just a few moments ago, I shared about the movie we're showing next Sunday night, you know, tried to keep it concise. How, uh, don't point at anybody. How many of you know somebody that likes to tell stories and they give way too much information? Yeah, I know some people like that. I can be guilty of that. I confess. <laughs> I read a good book, watch a good movie. I'm telling somebody. I'm telling all the details, and I can see their eyes starting to glaze over. It's like, okay, I, gotta, I just got to quit, you know. I'll be honest with you, I have a feeling that there are a lot more people in this room and of those of you that are online that like to tell stories than we realize. Because we may say, well, you know what? I'm not really that extroverted type of person. I'm more of an introvert, all right? But I guarantee if you get excited about something, you start talking about it to somebody. Even if it's not everybody, even if it's not in front of a crowd, but maybe a family member or whatever. Now I realize there are some people, they are so introverted, and that's fine, that's the way God made you, that you don't tell nobody nothing. You know, you keep your conversation down to one-syllable words as much as possible. That's fine. But most people love to tell a good story. And the title of my message today is Tell Your Story. Every single one of us has a Story. We have a number of stories, and we're going to be talking today about our story about how God has intervened in our lives or how God has impacted our lives, what God has done for us. How many of you, whether you are aggressive about telling us, how many of you have a story how God has made a difference in your life? So many, many hands. And can I tell you, sometimes we can feel guilty, and we don't need to feel guilty, but I think that it's good for us to feel a little bit of pressure because we know we don't tell our story as much as we should. You know, there's a passage that I like to quote. It's not from our text today. 1 Peter 3.15. In the English Standard Version, I think it says, always be ready to give a defense. And that word defense kind of just turns me off a little bit to what I believe this verse is trying to say. So I want to read from the NIV just real quick. The NIV version of 1 Peter 3.15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope you have. You know, what's the hope you have? The only true real hope we have, besides temporary ones, is the hope of heaven and the hope of eternal life and a relationship with God. He says, listen, always be ready to tell your story. I like what the New Living Translation says of that verse. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. We're taking a little break from the Gospel of Luke, as I mentioned a few moments ago, and we'll get back to it. But we're going to spend all the month of September, the four Sundays in September, and talk about how God can use us to tell our story to other people. 
to share with other people about Jesus and what he's done for us and how he can make a difference in their life. And we struggle with that. Most people struggle with that. I struggle with that. Even as a pastor, even as somebody who's known the Lord for 50-something years, sometimes struggle with telling other people, especially people I don't know well, my story or what Jesus has done or what he can do for them. Why do we struggle so much? We struggle because, number one, we think it's going to be confrontational. We don't want a confrontation. We don't want to get into an argument with somebody else. Can I tell you, that's the thing we're going to deal with next week. That's not what God wants. God doesn't want us sharing our story and his story to be a confrontational thing. It never was for Jesus. The only people Jesus confronted were the religious leaders, and they already, quote, knew God, and they got it all messed up. They needed a wake-up call. But just for the people that needed God's touch and God work in their life, he was always gentle. He was always conversational. He was always attuned to their needs and dealing with that and leading them into the truth in a very calm, peaceful way. We'll talk about that next week. But sometimes people don't feel comfortable sharing their faith or their story because they're saying, well, you know what? I still got a mess in my life. I'm not the best example. Well, you know what? None of us have it perfect yet. We're going to deal with that along the way. Sometimes people say, well, I, I don't, I just don't know what to say. And that's, that's somewhat valid, but we're going to talk about that too along the way. So I really encourage you to plan to be with us the next couple of weeks, the next month. Those of you online, be sure to tune back in because we're going to be talking about this. We're going to be talking about encountering Jesus's mission. That's kind of the overwhelming thing, encountering Jesus mission. And at the end of the four weeks or somewhere along the way, we're going to have some resources to give to you from an, a, 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 a ministry called Every Home for Christ. And um, we've already got them in the office, things that can help you be conversation starters and, and encouragements and things like that. And we're going to give that out to you that you can use as you begin to take those steps of just maybe one at a time, taking the opportunity just to just be an encouragement to someone about the Lord and have an open door. So that's what we're looking forward to over the next several weeks. But today I wanted to kick it off with this message called Tell Your Story. And we're going to be looking at Psalm 107. Psalm 107, because Psalm 107 talks about a number of stories, you could call them testimonies, that people have of God intervening in their life. And I just want to tell you something. I am so, so excited. Um, when Nathaniel uh, showed me or when I went online and saw the lineup of our worship songs today, wasn't it a wonderful time of worship today? totally focused on Jesus and what God has done through Jesus and how he heals and saves and delivers. And can I tell you, that's exactly what my sermon is about. And Nathaniel picked those songs last week before I even talked to him about what I was going to preach about today. Just shows how God orchestrated everything together to be focused on this. And I also want to tell you that I believe with all my heart that God wants to touch some of you at the end of our service. Now, I believe God began a work, was doing a work as we prayed over needs just a few moments ago. He's always at work whenever we cry to him. But when we get to the end of the message today, the worship team is going to come back. They're going to begin to sing some of those songs that we already sang earlier. And I'm going to invite you that as we sing those, if you need God to touch you today in any way to come down and just begin to ask him. 
We often call our elders down and have them ready. I'm not going to ask them to do that this time because I just want you to come and call out to God on your own. Now, we will come down, our elders, myself, prayer team, we may come along and and pray with you or for you, but we're not going to have you come and share and all that like we usually do. But could I just challenge you to let your faith rise? As we talk about the stories in this psalm of how God did mighty, miraculous things, and maybe you remember times when God did something miraculous for you in the past, and now you're in need of something new today, let your faith arise that maybe God is going to begin that process today. And I encourage you to to respond as we get to the end of the service. Psalm 107. We're going to be going through the whole psalm, reading most of it. But the very, very first verse says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Now, that phrase may sound familiar to you. And if it does, it's not just because it's the first verse of this psalm. That is the most repeated phrase that is repeated all through the book of Psalms, the collection of the songs of God's people. That is mentioned, that is stated so many times in so many psalms. We need to give thanks to God. And you know, we could do a whole sermon just on that. And I have, especially around Thanksgiving time. Even if God never does anything else for us our entire life, as I said in my prayer earlier, God deserves our thanks and praise forever and ever and ever. You know, even if God never did anything for us in this life except save us because of what Jesus did, he deserves our praise forever and ever and ever. And we need to be very careful that we don't forget to thank him. I know when our girls were growing up, if somebody did something to that for them, gave something to them, and they forgot, we'd say, now, what do you say? Thank you. You Maybe you've done something. We, You know, sometimes we need to be reminded. What do you say to God? Thank you. That's one of the things that worship and praise is all about. And you guys responded so well this morning. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. God is good. I was waiting for somebody to say all the time. That used to be a really popular thing, you know. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Notice it doesn't just say God does good. It says God is good. God is good. God is absolutely good and his steadfast love endures forever that that word there steadfast love is sometimes translated faithfulness it is one of the most it is the most common word used to describe god throughout the whole old testament because it's a hebrew word it's only in the old his faithful love his steadfast love it's a hebrew word called kesed if you want to sound real smart, you say, I learned something in church today. God's faithfulness is the word kesed. All right? But what does it refer to? It means that God is faithful. God loves us. He has mercy toward us. This word for love means not just he loves us because we're lovable. Not just he loves his people because they deserve it. In fact, this word means specifically that God loves his people in spite of the fact that they're not always lovable. And that he loves them more than they deserve. Doesn't that describe God's mercy and grace? It certainly describes why Jesus came to earth when he died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. We didn't deserve it. We couldn't earn it. We can't be good enough to just have it. But he did it because he loved us. His faithful love endures forever. It never ends. You know, some of you perhaps have experienced a relationship where someone 
proclaimed great, deep, undying love for you. And now that may not be true. God doesn't do that. God's love endures forever. Even the best of us who may have a great marriage, not to make anybody else feel badly that you don't, and you make that commitment till death do us part. You know, there's an ending time to that relationship, although I believe that if we are really close with somebody in a marriage relationship or any other relationship, we both know Jesus, we'll still have a great close relationship in heaven. Leave that with all my heart. But there's an ending time for that relationship, but there's never an end to God's love. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2 says, you say, Pastor, if we're going through this whole psalm, this verse is going to take forever. We're going to speed up a little bit. Verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He redeemed from trouble. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He redeemed from trouble. Any ever been redeemed from trouble? Some of you might say, I'm not really sure exactly what that redeemed thing means, but I know what it means to be in trouble and I got out of it and somebody helped me, God helped me, whatever. Yes, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. What does that mean? Well, first of all, who are the redeemed? The redeemed are the ones that God has rescued. To redeem something or someone means to buy back. In a culture where people were sold into slavery, if you redeemed them, you bought them back and set them free. In biblical culture, there's this idea of a kinsman redeemer, and that was that if you and or your family got into a tremendously bad situation, you all of a sudden got into a lot of debt. Maybe there was a famine, your crops failed, your herds died, whatever. You got into debt, you're getting ready to lose everything. Family was so close and so tight. One of your family members... Hopefully you had one that cared enough for you would step in and redeem you and would pay the price and then you could pay them back over time. They were called the kinsman redeemer. Made a great picture for Jesus' coming because we were sold into debt to sin and in bondage and we were bought back by Jesus. He says, let the redeemed, the psalmist says, let the redeemed say so. What is the say so part? Well, I think there's two parts to it. It's the, what the first verse says. It says, you've been redeemed, now thank God. Say so, you know, thank you, Jesus. But I think it also means to tell your story. I think it means you need to take that story of what God has done for you and share it with other people. In fact, the New International Version puts it this way. I love this. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Tell their story. Verse 3 says, the ones that God has redeemed from trouble and gathered from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. In the original context of this psalm, this was a psalm that was written after God's people had disobeyed God so badly, he let them go into bondage, into exile. They left their country. Some went to Assyria, some went to Babylon. But eventually, because God never gives up on his people, he had them set free and they came back home. They came back from the north. They came back from the south. They came back from the east. They came back from the west. And he's saying, God brought us back to our land. We need to praise him and thank him and we need to let people know about it. That's the original context of the psalm. But the stories we're going to look at apply to people of all ages. And that's where we're going to jump in now. We're going to take a look at these four testimonies But let me just say this. It says he brought them back from the north, south, east, and west in the same way God knows exactly where you are. You may feel far from him, but he knows exactly where you are, and he can bring you back. He can bring you to a safe place. He can bring you to a place of health and healing 
once again. And that's what these stories are about. So let's look at these stories real quick. Four testimonies of how God delivered from various circumstances and difficulties of life. And I would venture to say that your story is already here. You may find one of these or more than one of them say, you know what, that was me. (laughs) That describes the way I was perfectly and God did this. But can I also tell you that maybe you will see in this one of these stories or more than one of them where you are right now? And I just want to clue you in. If you see yourself in one of these stories right now that what God did for the people then and they give this story, they give this testimony, he can do for you now. So let's look at these four stories. The first one is that God satisfies the dissatisfied. God satisfies the dissatisfied. Let's read verses 4 through 9. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The beginning of this story, what is the picture? It's the picture of people who are wandering who are wandering, as it says, in desert wastes. They're wandering in the wilderness. They may bring a picture to your mind of a book you've read or a movie you've seen of someone who, for whatever reason, is in the middle of a desert. And they've got to get out. They have no water. They have no food. Their sun is beating down and they're wandering and they're trying and they're crying out and they're walking and they're trudging, maybe crawling. And the tension builds and depending on the type of movie you're watching, hopefully they are delivered. Someone finds them. They, they get to a place. And this is what it's, what it's describing here. Someone who is in a wilderness desert place, probably not physically. I mean, this has echoes back to the children of Israel coming through the desert and God delivered them and being in bondage and exile and God delivered them and brought them across the desert back home. But this is more of a picture of a person who is dissatisfied for a person who is longing for a person who does not have their needs met no matter what they try or what they do or where they go or who they're with. There may be satisfaction for a while, but it doesn't last. And it says they have no city. Now, some of you probably say, I like the city. Some of you say, I don't like the city. I'd never want to live there because... For the negative ones, you probably think of a city as a place of danger and that kind of thing because of crime and everything. But in this culture, the city was a place of safety. The city was a place of shelter. The city was the place where you had your resources met because you could get food, you could get shelter, you could get clothing, you could have relationship. And so it's saying that there were some people that were wandering through the deserted wilderness places, yearning and longing for something. They didn't have their needs. They were hungry. They were thirsty. And they cried out to God. And God delivered them and God led them on a straight path. He took them on the path. It doesn't say he transported them from where they were to a city. They had to go on a path. And that's important because sometimes when God works in our life, it's not immediate. It takes some time. But as we call out to him and lean on him, he will take us on the path to that safe place, to that place where our needs can be met. So what do we do? He says, if that's you, you need to thank Jesus. You need to praise him and thank him because he satisfies the hungry. He satisfies the longing heart. And you know, 
This applies so much to people of all times and even today. Perhaps it applied to you at some point. Going through your life, trying to find satisfaction. I never was a fan or whatever, but I know there's a very popular song when I was a teenager, Can't Get No Satisfaction. Not condoning or promoting that group or their songs or anything at all. But it was the cry, not just of a generation, but of the human heart. Going through life, looking for that which will satisfy. And finding something, and for a while it does. But then it doesn't. Not fully, not completely. Satisfaction. Can't, can't, can't get no satisfaction. Can't find that. Always looking, going from place to place. Experience to experience. You know, sometimes it manifests itself in buying that new thing and it's so satisfactory, but then it gets a dink or a ding or whatever, or a new one comes out that's bigger and better. That's why some people have to always buy the latest iPhone, the latest Galaxy, the latest tablet, the latest computer, the latest whatever. They have to trade their car in every single year. I'm not necessarily condoning or condemning. I'm just saying that sometimes that is driven by the fact that, yeah, I got this thing. It's so cool. Oh, now there's a better one. There's a newer one. There's a bigger one. There's whatever. It's that search for satisfaction. People do that in relationships, to go from relationship to relationship to relationship, from marriage to marriage to marriage for some people, because you cannot find that satisfaction. The solution is right here is to cry out to God, to cry out to God, because God will lead you again. It may be a process. He will lead you to that place. Can I tell you that even though this is from the Old Testament, so Jesus is not mentioned, that Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of all these things. You see, Jesus guides, provides, and satisfies. We could do a whole sermon and a whole sermon series on that, but let me just read three passages of Scripture to you that talks about that. In Matthew 9, 36, it says that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus came, he came specifically because humankind was longing and dissatisfied because sin had destroyed their life. And no matter what they tried to do with deal with their issues, it couldn't deal with the problem of sin. And he came and people were like sheep without a shepherd, dissatisfied. And he came and it says that he didn't come to correct them. That happened. It didn't come to, 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 to take advantage. He came with compassion to meet their needs, to touch them and to guide them to that place where they could be healed and hold, hold. John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God, Jesus wants us to have an abundant life. Now it's talking about primarily eternity because you know this life's nothing compared to eternity, but it also means right now, right here. We live in a sinful fallen world, so we'll still always have to deal with problems and issues and all that kind of stuff, even if we're perfect. How many of you are perfect? Thank you for not raising your hand. None of us are. Even if you're perfect, you'd still have problems because other people aren't. This world isn't. So we're still gonna have but God wants us to experience an abundant life even here. In Matthew 5, 6, he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. That's not just hungering and thirst like, I want to be right. I mean, that's a good thing. That's something we should, that we should want. But I want to see righteousness in the world. Are you guys tired of injustice and inequality and all that stuff? 
That's part of the hunger and thirst for righteousness. I want to see righteousness established in our nation, in our world. And God says, one day it will be. One day it will be. God satisfies the dissatisfied. Can I just see a show of hands? How many of you, you've seen that God's done that in your life? You can remember a time you were so dissatisfied, but when you came to know Jesus, you came to God and he met your needs and you found satisfaction. I won't ask you to raise your hands, but if you're here today or if you're watching online and you say, I can really resonate with that, I am dissatisfied right now. There's a deep longing and hunger and thirst in my life and I've tried to fill it with so many things and it's not worked. Jesus is the answer. I want to encourage you to come to him. And you may even be a believer, but you're struggling with dissatisfaction. And maybe it's because you've gotten your eyes off of Jesus and what he's done for you. And you're focusing on this world and you're trying to find your satisfaction in this world. There's a lot of stuff in this world that God says it's okay for us to enjoy. But if we're trying to find our satisfaction in the world and the things of this world, we'll still be dissatisfied even though we know Jesus. So maybe you're here or online and and you're a believer and God's saying, why don't you just fine tune your focus a little bit? Okay? Enjoy life and things of this life within the right context, but may you find your satisfaction in me. So God satisfies the dissatisfied. The second testimony we have here is God frees the prisoner. God frees the prisoner. Look at verses 10 through 16. He says, Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. If that sounds familiar, it's because we already read that earlier. That's the response in every situation you find yourself in need. Cry to the Lord in trouble, and then God will deliver you from your distress. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. That verse is also mentioned in all four testimonies because that's the appropriate response. When God does that, we need to thank him. He's been so good to us. Verse 16, for he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. Here's a picture of people who are enslaved who are in bondage, who are in darkness, despair, cooped up in a cell, no hope, no help, held prisoner. You may even have a testimony like that, that you're in an actual prison cell. But can I tell you, I think the main idea here is not so much being in a physical prison cell, but being imprisoned by things that God doesn't want us to be imprisoned by. Ultimately, it's being imprisoned by sin and its consequences. You know, it may be a habit or an addiction. You know, we may be imprisoned and bound by drugs or alcohol or pornography or some other substance or habit. More often or more frequent, it may be an attitude. An attitude of bitterness, unforgiveness, a critical spirit, anger. I think all of us know what it's like to be bound by things like that. And this testimony is that God can set us free. It says here most often, it doesn't matter all the time, but most often the reason that we're bound by these things is because we've given ourselves over to sin. 
And I don't mean like wholly surrendered, like we've come to Satan and said, Satan, do whatever you want to with me. But we basically just said, well, God says to do this, but I don't want to do this, so I'm going to do that. And we've rebelled against what God said. I've said so many times, you guys may get sick and tired of hearing it. You know, God has given us instructions in his word, commandments even, and principles and guidelines. And it wasn't because he was up in heaven looking down saying, people are having too much fun. Let's make them miserable. He was up in heaven looking down saying, people are destroying their lives by sin. Let's give them guidelines to live by so they can avoid all that as much as possible in a sinful world. And find that happiness and find that freedom and find that satisfaction. But when we ignore what God has to say, we become bound in our sin. You know, perhaps you've heard too, I've heard people that say, well, I don't want anything to do with God or Jesus or be a Christian or whatever because he just wants to bind me all. I want to be free. And the next thing you know, they're all bound up. They're, an addic- they're addicted to drugs. They're, all the things I mentioned, they're in, in some kind of addicted situation that's led to circumstances in their life, and they are in a bondage. That's the bondage God wants to help us to avoid, but that's also the bondage that God can set us free from. And that's what this testimony is all about. Sin and disobedience always leads to bondage and death. Sin and disobedience always. It may be fun for a while, Maybe satisfying for a while. But ultimately, it leads to bondage and death. Some people still refuse to recognize the situation, and they blame God. There's a verse about that. Proverbs 19.3 says, When a man's folly, and all you ladies say, yeah, it's a man. It refers to women, too. When a man's folly brings his way to ruin, his heart rages against the Lord. Have you ever known somebody like that? They've made a mess of their life, and it's like, God, why would you let this happen to me? God, why aren't you doing something? I want to ask you if you've ever been that person. But the solution is the same for every story. Cry out to the Lord in your trouble. In this story, it says that God lifted their despair, gave them hope, broke their bonds, set them free. Now, can I tell you that sometimes the bondage we're in, Thank God for the times that he just sets free people free immediately. I've known people who are addicted to drugs or whatever, and they prayed and God, they no longer had the desire. I mean, they were, it was done. But can I tell you that for most people, God just gives you the strength to go from day to day to day and to walk in victory. And he will. You know, Paul said in Philippians 4, Philippians uh, 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And that is true. I can do whatever God calls me to do. And he wants me to be free. And he will give me strength. It may be difficult at times, but he can bring strength to do that. You know, when I was thinking about this particular testimony, I thought about the song that Wesley wrote, uh, Christ the Solid Rock. And one verse says this, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean and his blood availed for me. You know, God can and will set us free if we turn to him. And again, Jesus fulfills this. Jesus sets people free. There are stories all through the gospels when Jesus was on earth and he set people free. I encourage you later to read the story in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. When he and his disciples were crossing the, the sea and they landed on the other side, there was a man who had been filled and controlled by a great legion of demons. 
basically would be considered insane today, hurting himself, living naked and unashamed out in the wilderness, among the graves and in the caves. And Jesus set him free. There was a lady who didn't have quite a dramatic testimony, but she had been bowed over for a long period of time. And it says specifically in her case, this isn't true of every case, that it was caused by demonic oppression. And Jesus set her free. Jesus set people free. And that was the purpose of his death on the cross, was to set us free from the power of sin and death as we turn to him and surrender our lives to him as our Savior and as our Lord. I could ask how many of you have been set free, but to be honest with you, if you know Jesus, we all have been from something or another. But I would also say that if you're here today or you're watching online, Jesus can set you free today. I encourage you to call out to him. That brings us to the third testimony. God heals the afflicted. God heals the afflicted. Let's look at verse 17. It says, Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. Let me stop there real quick saying that these particular ones, they're saying that they were afflicted. They had physical problems. They had emotional problems. They had mental problems. They were afflicted, and it was specifically because of their sin. But please help me to un- let me help you to understand that not every physical sickness or disease or emotional or whatever is caused specifically by a specific sin. Now, all sickness and everything is caused by sin, just the presence of sin in the world and, and all that kind of stuff, okay? But I want to be very, very quick, because if, you, if you're dealing with some kind of physical ailment, you're dealing with a physical need and an emotional need or whatever, it may be sin-inspired, and you need to examine yourself. But there's a chance that it is not, a good chance, perhaps, that it is not. It's just part of living in this sinful world where everything is dying and falling apart, including our bodies and our minds sometimes. In this story, though, it's particularly because of sin. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities, suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food. In other words, they couldn't even, get, they couldn't even eat. And they drew near to the gates of de- death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. Tell their story with joy. So we have here people who through foolishness of giving themselves over to sin have become sick physically, mentally, emotionally. They're afflicted is the word that's used. So many times our afflictions are our own fault. Many times they're not. Because of foolishness, because of sin. Just as I said earlier that sin and disobedience leads to bondage and death. In this case, sin and disobedience often lead to physical and emotional sickness. As I said, all sickness is because of sin, but not necessarily because of a specific sin that you committed. But the solution is the same, to cry out to the Lord. Ask him to deliver. And he speaks his word. That can mean a specific word that God speaks in that moment to touch your life. It can mean the fact that through his word, he brings healing to our lives, to our minds, to our spirits, and even to our bodies. It could also refer to Jesus because Jesus is the word of God come in the flesh. In fact, as I said, Jesus fulfills all this. Jesus heals. Jesus heals. Again, story after story in the Gospels of Jesus healing people. I've put one in here so you can look it up later. Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 to 12. There's a Roman centurion who has a servant, and he hears about Jesus 
And he sends someone to Jesus saying, listen, I need my servant. You know, he's valuable to me. I care about him. He needs to be healed. And Jesus goes to heal him. And the centurion says, says, you don't need to come here. Just say something. You know, just send your word. Just say it. It'll be done. You've got authority. I know what it's like to have authority. I'm a centurion. And Jesus says, what great faith. Jesus still heals today. Now, it raises all kinds of questions because there are people that say, you know what, I know he does. And maybe say, I've even experienced it before, but right now I need healing. I've been praying for so long. Why is God not healing me now? And I can just tell you that I don't know the answer other than the fact that it's not because there's some terrible sin in your life unless God's revealed that to you. It's not because you have no faith, although we all need to grow in faith. It's just that God has different plans for each of our lives and he will sometimes use sickness and other obstacles and problems in our lives to help us to grow and we just got to trust him. Pray for healing, pray for deliverance, pray for all that, but then trust him. You know, just recently on a Wednesday night, we studied this story from Peter's life in Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1, it says that Herod arrested James and had him put to death. So he arrested Peter and God delivered Peter with an angel. Why? Did he love Peter more? Did Peter have more faith? Was Peter more special? No. God just has different plans for different people. But God still heals. God still heals. We pray for it. We believe for it. And we say, God, do what only you can do. As we sang about one of our choruses earlier this morning. Many of us have testimonies of healing. Let's, let's do it. How many of you, God has healed you sometime? I mean, it wasn't like I prayed for a headache and it kind of went away. I think it was God. But I mean, there was a time I, w- I had a physical and God healed me. Lots and lots and lots of hands. God does that. And, and if you're struggling, I hope that doesn't make you feel bad. Like, well, why won't he do it for me? Ask God, but keep praying, keep believing. We're going to pray with you that God touch you. The fourth and last testimony is God delivers the distressed. God delivers the distressed. Verses 23 to 32. This one doesn't even mention sin. This this seems to indicate to me people who aren't deliberately going out and giving them sin, but they're just kind of living life, doing things, pursuing goals, and trouble comes. So this applies to us even if we don't aren't wrestling with sin or whatever. It's like we're just going through life and all of a sudden there's a problem. Verse 23. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord as wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wisdom, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. The picture we have here is people on a boat and the storm comes. And and again, so many of these pictures you can actually see because maybe you've seen something like in a movie, you know, or in the news, you know, you see this terrible storm and, and um, you know, the ship's in danger of capsizing. It's like, what are we going to do? No matter how good of a crew we have on our boat, it's like this is way beyond us. Or something maybe we're a little more familiar with here in Florida. Hopefully, just by watching it on the news, a hurricane comes and it's battering the coast. Unfortunately, we're not near the coast as far as hurricanes are concerned. 
And it's way beyond people's control. And I think this is talking about the circumstances of life that we face. We're just going about our business. It says they were going to sea to do their business. We're going about our business and all of a sudden a storm breaks out. A crisis erupts. Something happens. We have no control. We can cry out to God. Say, God, help us. Help us. You know, this literally happened to a man in history. His name was John Newton. Maybe you recognize that name. Back about 100, 150, I can't remember exactly how many. He was a slave trader. He owned a, at least one ship, maybe several. I don't know. I, I haven't read the story recently. But he would sail from America to Africa, buy slaves, bring it back to America, back and forth. And he was a cruel man and um, that whole thing. We want to dig deeply into that. But on one of his trips, there was a great storm. And God used that storm to get his attention. And he became a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ and became one of the greatest advocates of his time against slavery and wrote the song Amazing Grace. Have you ever heard that little song? It's not very popular. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. When he said he was a wretch, <laughs> he literally was. Of course, to be honest, we all are in sin. That was literally a storm that caused somebody to cry out to God and have their life changed. But figuratively, it happens all the time. Storms come into our life. What are we going to do? God stilled the storm in this story. You know, sometimes God stills the storms and sometimes he just takes us through them. As I said, this, this, Jesus is the fulfillment of this. Jesus takes us through the storms. Again, a story you can read later in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, when Jesus and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee, and he's so tired, he's been so he falls asleep. And this great storm comes, and they're afraid they're going to die. Remember, four of the disciples are fishermen. They've been out on this lake in storms. They know what storms are like. They've had that experience, and they're like, even as fishermen, we know what to do, and we are in trouble. And they wake up, Jesus say, aren't you concerned we're going to die? And Jesus calmed the storm. And I love it when I have a storm break out in my life and I cry out to God and God just makes it disappear. Any of you ever had that happen? Sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does that sometimes. But you know what? Most of the time, he doesn't make it disappear. He just takes us through the storm. Any of you had that happen? You had something happen in a storm. And it's like God didn't like just totally make the storm calm, but he did take you through. He gave you what you needed day by day, sometimes hour by hour. He gave you solutions. It wasn't gone immediately, but he took you through. You know, there was a song that was popular 20-something years ago, and one of the lines in that song was, sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. Sometimes he calms the storm, which will calm us. But sometimes he doesn't calm the storm, but he calms us, and he takes us through. Now, the rest of the psalm you can read later. Uh, verses 33 through 43. Uh, the psalmist, these are the end of the four stories, but he goes into this thing about, you know what, even as you're going through life, sometimes you see people that are really wicked. They got everything looking really, really nice. He says, it's not going to stay that way. There will come justice and righteousness. Their situations will turn around. And sometimes you see people that are really trying to do the right thing and they got it really, really tough. He says, it won't always be like that because God will turn it around. And then sometimes you see the wicked oppressing the righteous. And he says, God hates that, and that will, too, one day turn around. Because God is all about righteousness and justice. He allows things to happen for a time and for a reason. But he will make all things right. 
at one time. And he wraps up the psalm in verse 43. Whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. As I said, Jesus fulfills it all. When Jesus first started in ministry, he did so by speaking in the synagogue in his hometown. The story is found in Luke 4, 18 to 19. We dealt with that in our Luke series back a little while ago. And he read from the prophet Isaiah, and he says, God is starting to fulfill this right now. And what he read was, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Can I tell you, Jesus does this. To the dissatisfied, Jesus offers abundant life. But let me just say, the first thing you need to do if you haven't done so is surrender your life to him. You know, if, you, if you're dissatisfied and all, and you just say, well, Jesus, patch me up. You know, give me, give me a hit. Give me... No, that's, Jesus isn't about just patching things up. He's about giving us a whole new life. The Bible makes it clear that we are all sinners separated from God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to give life. And as we come to him, recognizing that he paid the price on the cross for our sins, and we put our trust, our faith, our hope in him and ask him to forgive us, on that basis, he will forgive us and we begin a relationship with him and we need to walk away from our sin. That's what causes the problems to begin with. That's what made the barrier between us and God to begin with. That's what brought the death to begin with. But he gives us new life. And if you're here today or you're watching online and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, you've never come to God and said, God, I am a sinner. Please forgive me. Not because I'm good enough, because I deserve it, because I can earn it, because I can't but because Jesus died on the cross that my sins could be paid for and I'm going to trust in him and I want to live my life for him. Challenge you to do that today. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. Worship team, come on and find your places. How do we apply this today? When you're in trouble, call out to the Lord. It was said four times in this psalm. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. I said, if you don't know Jesus, that's the first thing you cry. God, I need to know you. I want to know you. I need Jesus as my Savior. But you know what? Even if you know Jesus and you're having a difficulty today, one of these stories or maybe something that's related but not quite the same, you need deliverance. you got something that's binding you up. You need healing. You've gotten a little off track. You're trying to find your satisfaction someplace else. God wants to help you give. Whatever your need might be today, call out to God. God can touch you. God can work in your life. The second thing is, we should all leave this place today with a sense of gratitude and thankfulness, saying, thank you, Jesus. You've done so much in my life. You've done so much in my life. Again, four times it's mentioned, that's what the response should be. Make that known. Tell God. But then the last thing is, let others know. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Tell your story. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about how we can become more comfortable doing that and how we can be more practical about doing that. But tell your story. Let's all stand together. As I mentioned earlier, the worship team is going to begin to lead us.
I believe in some of the songs we sang earlier. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you that as we begin to sing this, that you just begin to worship God. You begin to call out to Him. And if you have a need today, any need, that you take a step of faith and that you come down here and say, God, here I am, I need you. And just begin to express that to Him. Myself, some of our elders, prayer team may circulate around and pray with you, but you just focus on God and calling out to Him and ask Him to touch you. And I believe that if you take that step of faith, God will at least begin a work in your life, in your situation today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Before we wrap this all up to go in just a moment, can we do one of those things the psalmist said we need to do? We need to lift our voices and say, thank you, God, for what you've done. Can we do that together? Lord, we love you today. Lord, we praise you today. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you not only for what you've done or begun or are doing today, but, Lord, what you did for us last week for what you did for us last month, last year, Lord, a decade ago. Thank you for saving us from our sins, Lord God. And we can stand here or sit here or be at home free from sin, its condemnation, its guilt, its shame, and its bondage, knowing we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the many times you've touched our bodies, Lord God, for the times that you've comforted and strengthened us, for the times you've given us wisdom, Lord God, for the times you've worked in our relationships, for the times that you've provided when we didn't know where it was going to come from. And Father, I pray that as we go forward, you would help us to trust you when those times come again, to not allow the devil to get in and cause us to doubt and to fear, but to just trust you. Thank you, Lord. And God, I pray that as we leave this place, that we would not be hesitant or we get over our hesitancy to share our story. Whenever you open a door, for us to tell people about Jesus and what he's done for me and what he can do for them and help us to learn over the next couple of weeks how we can better do that, be more comfortable doing that. But even whether we're comfortable or not, Lord, help us to be willing to take a step and be used by you. And Father, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. And we give you the glory and the honor in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I challenge you as you go out, you tell somebody, God has been good to me. And then tell them one thing he's done that's good. But don't be one of those storytellers that go on and on and on and on until the eyes glaze over, okay? All right. Share God's goodness as you're leaving today. God bless you. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org. 